Praise God. Welcome to Woman to Woman. We are so glad for you that you joined us today. I am so excited about the guests that we've had this summer and the guests that we continue to have. And today, actually, I have two guests for you. So um, one is going to make our program Woman to Man. <laughs> but we're still doing Woman to Woman. So um, most of you know my first guest who will introduce my second guest, but he, you know him, Bishop Keith Butler. He's with us today, and uh, we're going to talk to my, our second guest, and we decided to do it, to do it together, and uh, because there's a lot of information that she can, uh, that she has to share, and uh, that she lives, and she deals with every day, and, um, you know, my guest that we bring on here is to help each other to help us out as women. So I'm going to turn it over to Bishop so that he can introduce our guest. Well, first of all, thank you, Pastor Deborah, for the invitation to come on Woman to Woman and to your entire audience today. Our guest is a very high-powered woman who uh, runs a massive organization. Let me just read a little bit of the bio, and I'll tell you more about her. Her name is Shari Dollinger, and she serves as the co-executive director of uh, the largest pro-Israel organization in the world called CUFI, Christians United for Israel. I'm on the board of CUFI, its executive board, and I voted, I'm one of the votes that voted for this woman to get this position, mm -hmm. uh, praise God. Uh, and she's, she's worked for 11 years at CUFI as associate director. Now, of course, she's the uh, executive director of CUFI. She holds a master's degree in public administration and a bachelor's arts with a double major in politics and Islamic Middle Eastern studies. She has been recognized in several newspapers for her positive influence on Jewish life, as well as having several op-eds in numerous publications. And when she's not working at home in Atlanta, Georgia, she has a husband, Eric. She's got two children. She's even got three dogs. Mm -hmm. uh, amen. In other words, she's a very high-powered woman who is running a national, international organization, yes. holding her marriage together, and ministering to her children in other words, she's a very exceptional woman. We'd like to welcome Sherry Dollinger. Hello, Sherry. Hi, Thank Sherry. you, Bishop. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you and to see both your faces. Well, it's so good to have you and uh, been looking forward to this. So uh, I believe we're going to have, I know we're going to have a great time today and I believe our audience will be tremendously blessed by uh, what, yeah. what happens in this program today. Uh, you know, the first thing we like to, I think, ask you, since you are a wife, mother, and high-powered businesswoman with an organization that's in all 50 states uh, and has connections overseas, how do you do it? Let me answer that. But first of all, I want, I want to thank you. Um, you know, Bishop Butler, you mentioned you've been on the CUFI board since inception. And your guidance and leadership has enabled us to be where we are today. And your insights have really driven so many decisions that we've made at CUFI. Uh, and I want to thank you for that. And I want to thank Pastor Deborah that you have been in almost every single executive board meeting. And 
you, the way that you listen and take everything in, that the minute you want to say something, or like, we need to give Pastor Deborah the floor because she's going to say something amazingly insightful. So I just want to thank both of you as a power couple, uh, as who you are and everything that you brought to Kufi. So, so thank you for that. Um, and, you know, and, and thank you for that overly kind introduction. Mm-hmm. I, I really have learned immensely from walking besides Diana Hagee for the last 15 years and, and learning from Pastor. And their marriage is such a beautiful marriage of a, a partnership, a love of God and family and faith. And when I, I look to emulate, emulate, emulate uh, with Eric. Uh, and so I start every day with prayer. My alarm clock is set to Moda'ani, which is the Jewish prayer that you say the minute you wake up, literally before your feet hit the ground. Uh, and it's uh, Moda'ani is you know grateful to God. And the word grateful comes before me. Ani is an ani. So the first thing you say in the morning is not me, myself. It's I'm being grateful, but grateful comes before me. And it really, from the time my alarm goes off, sets my day with the intention focused on God, focused on prayer. Uh, and I try to keep that close to me throughout the day so that I can fuel myself and my family and, and pour that into Kufi. So you start off with uh, acknowledging God first in all that you do. Um, uh, Proverbs says to acknowledge God in all your ways, and He'll direct your path. So He does it every single day. Now, Amen. tell us, tell this audience, because uh, uh, people from this audience can be from anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about what uh, Christians United for Israel is, what it does, why it does, so to understand just how busy you are, how many employees. Mm-hmm. Already, I've already said that uh, as a membership of 11.5 million people. And uh, just for the audience, for before she talks a little bit to you more about your personal stuff, about your family and all that. So th- thank you for the question. Um, so Kufi is, you know, a, a second family to me. I was the third hire at Kufi, uh, March 2007. And since that point, we've grown to over 70 employees. And as you mentioned, we're the largest pro-Israel organization in the world. And we have a very simple mission, yet it's very difficult, simple to say, difficult to execute, uh, which is we are committed to educating the Christian community in the United States and around the world about why and how they should support the state of Israel and how they combat anti-Semitism. So we are led by the word of God that Israel, if you bless Israel, you will be blessed. Therefore, Everyone in the world, specifically our audience or Christians, uh, should support and love the state of Israel. But that's a big mandate. What does that mean? How do you do it? So, so we break it down and we meet people, you know, wherever they are. If they know, you know, about that much and maybe they know biblically they should support Israel, but they don't know anything about modern Israel. We have seven social media channels where they can learn about Israel. We have a website with uh, talking points and e-books. We have a library of books that people can draw upon. And, you know, in this day and age where people are really wanting to be together after having been forced to be virtual so long, uh, we make it a real point to actually gather in person. We do 50, 5-0 in-person events every single month across the nation. Uh, so if this is intriguing to you, you can go online and hopefully there's an event in your city 
city. If not, we will bring a speaker to your city. Uh, we bring speakers from Israel, speakers from the States to talk in churches and community centers, sometimes synagogues, uh, about the reason to support, support Israel. And the idea is that you emerge from that excited, educated, and wanting to do more. So we'd love for people to join us in Washington. The three of us just got back from our annual conference mm -hmm. in D.C., where we bring thousands of Christians from all 50 states to come and learn first about the current issues facing Israel, uh, and then the next day go to the Hill and share specific legislative issues with their members of Congress face-to-face. -face. Uh, and you know, really to understand Israel, it's important to walk in the land. And so we do 20 Israel trips a year. We do trips for millennial influencers. We do trips for college students and, and trips for pastors, uh, which are critical. Because uh, as you know, really to, Israel is on the heart of pastors, but to get on your agenda and to make it a priority, you need to really spend time there and understand that if you're going to give up your pulpit for a Wednesday or you know, a Sunday morning, this has got to be something ingrained in who you are as a church and as a ministry. Uh, and so when we bring pastors to Israel, all of a sudden what they've been teaching and learning for their whole lives comes to life uh, and they walk with us going forward. Uh, in addition to, you know, to all of that, we have uh, side projects, they're not side projects, they're you know, critical to who we are as an organization, uh, like Kufai Films. Uh, we have over 126 there's Israel Collective Films uh, showing the heart of Israel. We have a campus program, which I know is on both of your hearts, the next generation, uh, where on over 300 college campuses across the country, uh, we have a Kufai on campus where we educate Christian students on how to support Israel. Uh, and now, and this is really because of the leadership from both of you, uh, we have a robust high school program uh, because college was just too late to start uh, and we had over 40 high school students join us this summer at summit uh, so it's a um, is an incredible blessing not only in my life uh, but they got it in millions of people's lives Amen. yeah uh, genesis 12 3 says i will bless those that bless you curse those that curse you now you just heard yeah all this stuff <laughs> that this woman is running so. Yeah, so so this is this is one of the uh, I feel it's a is a very simple way to get across to Christians, and um, it's a, a story that I, I actually tell. I'm not going to tell the whole story. I'm just going to give the pinpoint of it. But it's the story of how I grew. I was born in Detroit, and I grew up in Detroit. And there's some things about Detroit I don't like. So Bishop came from Detroit. And some of these people born in Detroit. So it's fine for us to talk about Detroit. But don't yeah. you come from outside of Detroit and try to tell me anything about Detroit. Mm -hmm. So what I tell Christians is that Jesus was born in Israel. Why do you feel, think he feels any different about mm -hmm. you, how you deal his, where he was born with? Why do we actually think that he has adopted another country and has thrown Israel away. And uh, so you know, as a Christian, you know, you, you cannot just listen to what people say and believe what they say versus what God said. And you have to understand that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Whatever he said is still the same. And the way he feels about his nation of Israel is the same. So that's, and I believe that's part of putting God first. 
putting your focus on God. Everything is you have to come into agreement with what he says about his nation. Because everybody in the Bible is a Jew. Yes, <laughs> yes. Everybody. I mean, we're talking about Peter, James, John, mm-hmm. Isaiah, you, everybody. Everybody. Jew, right? <laughs> yeah. So, I love that, Pastor Deborah. That is powerful. Yeah, amen. Praise God. So it's, you know, because that's usually the biggest thing that you have with Christians that, you know, they want to know why Israel. Well, mm-hmm. <laughs> why Jesus? You can't mm-hmm. separate the two. Mm-hmm. You really can't. No. And, um, you know, when you start, you know, the world is always going to give us narrative to follow that they want us to follow. And especially today in the time that we're living, we are beginning to recognize some of those other narratives that they're setting up and saying and trying to convince us it's the way things should be. But we, we cannot allow that to happen because the number one narrative that we have to um, grab hold of and make a part of our life is the Bible, what God has said. And if we don't do that, we're going to have problems in other areas of our lives because it's not in order. So we have to put our lives in order based on what God has said. And if we don't do that, we're going to have problems. You have to understand that. Now, you know, we have to be um, sensitive to people and not get to the point when say, well, you deserve it. (laughs) We can't do that because our job is to make sure let's help you get out of that problem by examining your life and see how you're treating or how you're acting towards those things that God has set up in our lives to make uh, our lives easier. And one of those is Israel. He says, if you bless Israel, he'll bless you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how you, want to, how you can get away from that. Now, let's take a step to a little bit more personal level. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, usually when I grow up, you only had the man usually was the breadwinner, and then you had to, because mm-hmm. uh, we're a lot older than you are, sorry. <laughs> but uh, but uh, back in the day, it was kind of like that mainly. And uh, yeah. But now you have, uh, uh, sometimes you have the very opposite. That the, the homemaker is now the man. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's really a switch. Uh, and, of course, I'm someone that has to address this, but I want to see how she wants to address this. How do you manage your time? You're running an organization like that. Yeah. But children require so much attention. Maybe you do. Teenagers, oh my gosh. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. And then and then and husbands, uh this husband's gonna uh, husbands require a certain amount of time you got to give us, right? So I mean, how do you manage your time with all this? So uh my so first my first job out of college I met Eric, my husband. We were working at APAC, uh, the American Israel Public Affairs Institute, uh in, in Washington. And how long have uh, the two of you been been together? We, we were married 19 years. Yesterday is our 19th anniversary. Oh, so uh, been, been together over 22 years, but married 19 years. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think because we met, uh, first of all, right out of college, we were 21 years old when we met, uh, that we melded our lives together. Neither one of us were you know, stuck in a particular way, but we met in a context of a, a pro-Israel context. And uh, very early on, we decided that 
one of us should, um, you know, be in a financial position to send our future children to Jewish camp and Jewish day school. And so he went to law school uh, and I, I stayed uh, working in this community. And so I think that was a really powerful um, way to start our relationship. Uh, and then my second job I moved on to, I worked for a woman who, this was really before you know cell phones were dictated our lives. She came to the office very early and she is a very high powered career woman. And she was very delineated in her time. And she said, I am here from you know seven, I think it was four, and you have my full and undivided attention. I'm gonna go home and from four to nine, I'm with my children. And after that, you will hear from me again after nine. And so that those were two really important life lessons uh, that I, I've taken forward. And so when I am with my kids, I am with my kids, even with you know this age of this thing you know being attached to me. Um, I, I really, you know, when, when my kids come home from school, this is a way, and I am listening to what they are saying. And that type of undivided attention is, in my mind, more, you know, it's really quality over, over quantity. Uh, and then, you know, the, thank God, the, the beauty uh, in Kufa is that we're so family-oriented, and, and I work from home. So while I travel a fair amount, uh, a significant amount, uh, when I'm home, I don't miss baseball games or softball games or basketball games uh, because I work from home, and that is an incredible blessing. And so, you know, actually, literally, the my first day of work at Kufa in March 2007, I, you know, I, I, I you know, became pregnant with Aiden at the same time, an amazing blessing. Uh, and so Aiden's whole life, uh, he's the oldest, uh, and, and Layla's whole life has been intertwined with Kufa. And they really view Kufa as a part of who they are and Kufa as a part of our family. And so I'm amazingly blessed to have a deep purpose and mission in what I do. And so it's not like, they feel I'm going to travel for, you know, a reason that isn't deeply meaningful. And so to kind of, you know, sum up what I've been, you know, dancing around is the partnership with Eric being very grounded in him having a deep understanding of what I do, having deep quality time with the kids. Uh, and then the kids buying in and understanding who we are as an organization and having a husband who's amazingly supportive and you will resonate with both of you having amazingly supportive grandparents. Uh, my parents live 10 minutes away, and uh, Eric also is a very high-powered, he's an equity partner in a national law firm uh, that comes with some serious hours. And so I, I thank God for my parents every day that they do pick up and carpool and baseball and softball. And so it, it, it takes an extended family just beyond mm -hmm. the four of us. Yeah, praise God. Well, uh, happy anniversary. Thank you. And, Eric. Um, and again, the teenagers, um, you know, so many, so many people, so many women are so fearful of the teenage years mm -hmm. because of uh, um, all the horror stories that you hear. But um, when you when you schedule your time and your and the kids know that they are important in their first place with you, um, it, it makes a difference on how they act as teenagers. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that, that's been one of the things that we pretty much have um, um, have let people know and have seen from our life, but they don't understand that what you were just saying is that you have to prioritize 
your time. Just like you go to work from, you know, like you said, mm -hmm. seven to four, you have to spend such a time with your kids where they know yeah. this is time that we're spending together, which mm -hmm. is why, um, which is very important. So what would, you t what would you say, what more would you say to parents that have teenagers and that are uh, entering those teenage years? Because she has one going into high school. Right. Just starting right now, right? And one Today. Of, yes. Today. Okay. And the other one's in the last year of middle school? She is. She started yesterday, eighth grade. Yeah. So we are relatively new in the walk with two teenagers. Layla just turned 13, Aiden is 14. Um, and like every child, very different personalities. We look at them and we're like, how do you have the same DNA? So, um, boy, girls, a lot of it, but just so different. And so, you know, I think it, we, we parented them differently because they're such different kids. And Aiden is not oh, going to oh, come stop, home from school. Stop, stop, yeah. stop. <laughs> Stop uh -huh. right there. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. parried, you parented them differently. Explain that to That's the That's really big, yeah. So uh, I'll give a perfect example. So, you know, Aiden is never going to come home from school, pull up a snack and say, here's all about my day. But if we're playing pool, he's going to tell me all about his day. Or if we're shooting hoops, he's going to tell me about his day. So I really look with Aiden to be a physical activity where he's not noticing he's talking. And so we just know that he's on the quieter side. He doesn't love to read. So I'm not going to say, hey, dude, let's get our books and go into my office and read. He's going to be like, absolutely not. And so I really look to meet them where they are. They even like watching different shows. And in this day and age where everybody's on their own iPad watching their own thing, I actually like to be old school and watch on the TV a show with them. So I intentionally look to watch, you know, age-appropriate different shows with them, different art projects. So Layla and I are working on a, a mosaic project in our basement, and the same thing that while Layla needs no like, you know, uh, warming up to talk, she, it's still good to do a different activity with her. And mm -hmm. so Layla and I will read, and we'll do art projects, and we'll watch our own shows. And like I said, all the things I do with Aiden, and that's been really important that they have individual relationships with us uh, and that we they express themselves that way. And I can't parent Aiden the way I parent Layla because it would just be like this. It's not who he is as a person. Yeah. Uh, and it's get really knowing your kids at a deep level and what resonates with them uh, opens such a beautiful possibilities. And also, I'm not typically going to be playing basketball, and it brings me out of my comfort zone to do something that, you know, brings joy to him. Mm. Yeah. Well, continue, though. You were, uh, I kind of uh, in interrupted you there because I, yeah. thought, I thought that was really was real important good. for people yeah. to get. But go ahead. So, so yeah, so I really, it's knowing, knowing their friends as teenagers, being teenagers, really being intentional about listening to every little piece, you know, because sometimes they'll tell a story and they'll just drop a little bomb in there like, whoa, back it up, because that was the most important piece. And so going back to really not being distracted, because if you're on your phone or you're listening with one ear, mm -hmm. they'll be like, I told you, and like, you didn't tell, you know, so really just taking the time and, and that's a luxury in this day and age. Yeah. Um, and, and for us, and you know, for you, the equivalent of your Sunday night dinner, for us Shabbat dinner, Friday night, it is core and central to who we are as a family. And it's 
not just the four of us, but it's my siblings, their children, my parents, uh, before COVID, and now it has a different you know, resonance, what we would say even before COVID, unless you're contagious or bleeding, you're at the Shabbat dinner table. And now really, like, unless you're contagious or bleeding, you are all at my parents' dinner table every single Friday night. And that type of time together, that there's no conversation around, what are we eating? Where are we eating? We're at Bubby and Grandpa's, we're eating the same chicken, the same challah, and you're gonna enjoy it. But that type of consistency that the kids know mm-hmm. that there are expectations upon them, that this is not um, anything goes in this family. Yeah. And so that's been really important for us, that they know that they're safe, they know that they're listened to, that they can tell us anything, uh, and that we have their back. But we're also gonna challenge them, and we're gonna expect things from them. It's not a free ride. Well, just one more for me before I turn it back over to her. Yeah. Uh, I've been, been the male on this set, which is unusual for this set. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a mother relating to a son, uh, my father, and by the way, we have three kids for the audience, man, I know. We have th- three grown kids uh, and seven grandkids, and all three of our kids are in full-time ministry, all three of them. Mm-hmm. Two of them work for me. Okay. Uh, here. Uh, but my father, back in the day, he had to work like 18 hours a day okay. when I was growing up to, to uh, be able to feed us. So I had to spend a whole lot of time with my mother because he just, he just wasn't around. He, he had to work, okay? Uh, and grew up in an area of Detroit that was, well, it's still a little rough today, okay? So uh, and then later on, his company made it and we got out of there. But. You know, it was, it was challenging uh, a boy with a woman growing up, okay? And uh, uh, because I, at the time, I felt like she didn't understand me, okay, at all, okay? So how do you, as a, as a mother, and thank God for the husband, yours can be in there, mine, when he was around, he could be in there. But so much time, a lot of times, is spent that way. I mean, how do you relate with your son? How does it work? What do you think about mm-hmm. it? I, I think it's because I have such a close relationship with my father that it was a, a priority for me to you know, have an equally as close relationship with my son. And from very early ages, we've made it a priority that Eric has things in common with Layla. He takes her to softball, and that's a, a really important father-daughter bond. And with Aiden, um, I will specifically go out of my way to do just, you know, mommy-son trips. So probably starting at the age of seven, mm-hmm. once a year, I've you know taken him to D.C. I've taken him to San Antonio for our student conference. I took him to Israel, just the two of us. And those two weeks in Israel, November 19, little did we know, you know, what was about to face us. And thank God that we took that trip then. Um, that trip was so foundational for us. And we have inside jokes and stories forever from that. And so, you know, he was a little bit younger then. He was, you know, right before he, he was 11. And so I think those really formative years, uh, it, they're just the consistency of being and listening in, in, you know, having him come out of his shell. And then, yeah, he does, my husband does all the baseball. We, they spend 30 hours a week doing baseball. And, you know, he's, he has both the Braves games and the Little League games and the high school games, you know, but that knowing that there's a piece carved out for us uh, was so important. And I just, I really, hopefully all the women watching that you meet your sons where they are, and it doesn't mean 
making them do things that you want to do, mm-hmm. uh, which was a really big takeaway for me. Uh, it's not fitting them into your life, it's you fitting into their lives. Mm-hmm. And then you you find common ground. So Aiden is more you know, politically inclined uh, than, than my daughter. So we'll watch more politically inclined shows. We'll have more politically inclined conversations. Um, and it is such, I, I so deeply value our relationship, but I think it's all the intentionality that we put forth when he was younger. That's so good. Because <laughs> it makes it makes a, uh, a big difference. Uh, so, so many times parents wait too late to do that with their kids and then they try to force them into it instead of, like you said, getting them in the formative years where that, uh, where they think they're being treat, uh, um, they're being open or given a treat. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then when it comes to the time where, times when they, as they get older, they're used to it and they want to do it. Yeah. Um, and they want to continue it and they don't mm-hmm. see life without it. Exactly. So, you know, for those ladies that are listening, when you have young children, before they get older, you do those things with them. You know, a lot of people will try to tell you they're too young or whatever. No, they're not too young. Uh, start with them now while they're young and you won't have a problem with it when, you, when they're older. They'll want to be with you. They'll want to do things with you. Um, and it, I mean, it's just, it's just worth the effort because, and then sometimes you do have to sacrifice your own personal time or whatever what you want to do in order to make sure that uh, you have the time carved out for your children because those children are a blessing from God and he expects you to take care of them and, uh, and to be there for them just as he is there for you. And, um, you know, right now we, we're living in an age where people are more thinking about me, me, and me instead of others. And you can't do that as a parent. Stay tuned for part two of this episode of Woman to Woman. What every Christian parent should know. Growing children up in the 21st century can be a daunting task. For Christian parents, however, it can and should be a joy to raise children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Ephesians 6.4 God has given us an instruction manual for living, His Holy Word, which includes instructions on how to raise godly children. In this book, Pastor Deborah L. Butler shares what she believes every Christian parent should know in order to raise their children in a way that's pleasing to God and that will prepare them for a future in Christ that knows no limits. Order your copy today in ebook and paperback at eStore.keithbutler.org.